Welcome to Retirement Revealed. I'm your host, Jeremy Kyle, and we're here to turn your retirement savings into retirement income. And today we're talking with doctors, Art and Sarah Rayner, about how to talk with your spouse about money. Today's February 14th, so happy Valentine's Day. Figured let's bring a couple on for Valentine's Day. So stick around and you'll get some great insight on how to talk with your Valentine about money. This is Retirement Revealed, where Jeremy Kyle and his guests guide you towards making smarter retirement, investment, and tax planning decisions. Art and Sarah, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having us, Jeremy. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, we're glad to have you on. And I've got to say for you, Art, I've been kind of a friend and admirer even because you do a lot of stuff uh, online now, uh, met you through your blog, podcast, uh, now you got Christian Money Solutions, and I enjoy your podcast. But I got to say my favorite episodes are the ones where you bring your wife, Sarah, on the show. So let's learn first about Sarah. Then we'll get to you, Art. Go ahead, Sarah. And just so you know, Jeremy, that's very common. Most people are like, can you stop talking so much, Art? Let Sarah talk. Bring her on more. We're tired of you. We want to hear more from her. So I'm, I'm used to that. I believe it. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So my name's Sarah. Art and I have been married for 16 years. Uh, we've been together for 19. And we have three kids, three very loud and rambunctious boys. They are 12, 9, and 6. And I have my master's and my doctorate degrees in clinical psychology. And I predominantly work with kids and parents and families and adult women as well on just a wide range of mental health issues or just life struggles. And I like to exercise and eat chocolate. So that's really me. <laughs> it's good you got both of those going on. That probably yes. helps out. Well, I exercise so I can eat the chocolate. <laughs> Wise choice. That's awesome. How about you, Art? Tell us about yourself and especially uh, Christian Money Solutions. Yeah. So, so you mentioned that we were doctors and that's true. I just want to be clear. Sarah, as you can tell, is the, the type of doctor that can actually help people. Uh, my, my doctorate is in business administration. So, you know, it's a doctor just in just in title. Uh, Sarah's that kind of like the real you know, doctor. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about helping people discover and pursue God's design for money. We're believers. And so um, I believe that God has a lot to say about money, finances in scripture. And so we help people understand what that is and then uh, provide them with some practical steps that they can take to get financially healthy. And so it is a deep, deep passion of mine. And I just want to be very clear. You said that you're a fan of mine. I am a massive fan of, of you <laughs> and, the, and the work that you do and this amazing podcast. I'm a regular listener. And so I appreciate all that you do. Yeah, thank you that, for that, Art. That's awesome. And I'm going to talk about your podcast. Uh, actually, the tagline for your podcast, it's give generously, save wisely, live appropriately. There's a lot of wisdom there in general, but especially because Sarah is the kind of doctor that really helps people. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask uh, you, Sarah, could you tell us what does that tagline kind of mean when you approach or try to improve the marriage relationship? Yeah, so the start of that tagline for us is probably the most important and um, the give generously. And the reason that that part is so important is that was something that we had to agree upon. That really was our goal. And so in marriage, when you're talking about finances, you really have to have the same goal because everything else will stem from that portion of it. And um, all the other things that relate to the goal, like how to go about the goal, those are a lot easier to maneuver. So for us, the give generously part was 
the main goal. And so that was something we agreed on. And that's really helped us and how we view finances in our marriage. Yeah, it's good because really you could probably have discord in all three areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you had to pick one to maybe focus on first, uh, that's probably is the one where things kind of flow out of it. Because if you're a, a generous giver financially, you just might be more of a generous giver, you know, maybe personally, uh, more of a giving person. I think kind of having a giving heart's probably helpful in a uh, marriage relationship <laughs> or any type of uh, relationship to begin with. So I appreciate you kind of starting there. Maybe Art, if you could talk about the uh, the live appropriately, I'm just going to assume everyone thinks that save wisely is smart. I think that just let's just give that for a given. Uh, but <laughs> talk think about so. the live appropriately part. What does that What does that really mean? Well, so with living appropriately, it means managing your resources in a way that certainly takes care of your needs, but ultimately leverages them for the advancement of God's kingdom, helping more people know about Jesus and his love for them. Now, I do want to go back to that give generously part because that is the financial priority. And if you agree as a couple that that's the financial priority, and we agree upon that just simply because the Bible starts there. And so if you agree upon that, then everything else that save wisely, the live appropriately portion of it is there to support that priority, because if not, then it's not a real priority. And so how we save and how we go about spending our money is done in a way so that we can make sure that we're able to give generously. So back to what Sarah said, making sure you have that foundation agreed upon, that starting point agreed upon allows all of the other decisions to become much, much, much easier. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's easier when you're kind of uh, chasing after the the same thing. And of course, you, right. you both stated that you're you're Christian believers. And so it's, it is helpful to have a goal, a reason, a why that's outside of your own self-interest. And I'm just going to ask if somebody maybe isn't that Christian believer, how do they come up with their why? How do they figure out, especially together, when there's two of you together, how do you come to and agree on kind of what is the goal with our money together? I think when you have two people that meet together, they need to think both short-term and long-term to help them decide what their overall goal is. So really a great starting point, whether you're a believer or not, is what does money mean to me and where do I want to go with that? Um, And that will get that conversation going. And then it's a give and take and back and forth and listening to one another about what that means for each person. Because when you bring two people into a marriage that have drastically different backgrounds or even the same background, they're going to have different ideas than you about what money means to them and where they want to go with that. And so those are some good starting questions on, hey, where do we want to see ourselves in in five years and 10 years and in 50 years from now? And how can we prioritize our money to meet those milestones along the way? Yeah, I put together a, a book called the, the Marriage Challenge. And, and in the book, I talk about the money stories and money personalities. And so your money story is, is your experience with finances growing up. You know, what did you see in your in your household? How did your parents handle money? Did they talk about money? Was it a volatile subject or was it a subject that was more celebrated? What was your story? What was your experience? That has a profound impact on how a person views their finances later on. I was just meeting with a, with a couple shortly before this this recording, and the the gentleman was uh, he was he was adopted, and 
And so he always had this, he admitted he always had this fear of, of abandonment. Now, he remembers a very specific moment in his childhood when someone told him that he could not, uh, that his parents would not buy him an ice cream cone because he was adopted. And for some reason in his mind, that made, that, that had a profound impact on him so that later on in life, he would be incredibly generous to everybody to his own detriment. And the reason why he was so generous is because he wanted to make sure that nobody else felt that abandonment that, that he had felt. So it had a profound impact on him later in his life. So you need to know your your spouse's money story. You know, how did they grow up? Uh, what did they experience? And because that will help you understand why they think the way that they think right now about their finances and maybe understand what they're chasing after or what they desire to chase after with their finances. Yeah, I like how you're talking about the money story, especially trying to get each other's money story. It's probably just even helpful to think of your own money story, but what a impactful conversation to have with your spouse of let's talk about each other's money story. I mean, isn't that kind of part of any good marriage is learning more about each other? And of course, you'll probably learn more about yourself too while you're talking about that. I'm curious your thoughts, especially maybe for you, Sarah, on kind of the... Um, almost like the brain science behind it too. Cause I'm, I'm trying to really figure out here for both me and my wife, like what does money mean for the two of us? And it seems as if our own money stories are kind of similar. Like we have similar income uh, parents, like similar long-term jobs, like live in the same house kind of for a while, just like similar backgrounds in a way. And so I don't feel like there's a difference there that maybe could create discord. But I just really feel like there's maybe almost like a brain science difference, like DNA personality, where uh, she views money more like a security, where having the money means you're more secure. And I view it more like an opportunity, like, oh my goodness, I have this money in my hand. I'm almost afraid to do something stupid with it. So I just want to get rid of it, like through investments or giving away. Like I just, I almost want it out of my hand instantly. Uh, and it's, it's more of the opportunity versus security. And I feel like when I'm thinking it through, it's just gotta be DNA, personality. Like that's how we're both wired. Like nothing changed us or created us. Like I didn't choose to have that feeling. I don't think she chose to have that feeling. What What do you think about that, Sarah? Sure. So when we talk about humanity, humanity is more complex than I think we often give credit to. It's not just biology. It's not just environment. It's a lot of things that come together, including um, your personality, your your DNA, your biology, how your brain is wired. Um, the environment you grow up in does have a profound effect on you and even the cultures you grow up in. And so all of those things come together. And yes, we do um, have genes in our DNA, but our environment also plays a role in that and in gene expression as well. And so I would say the environment in which we grow up in actually has a more profound way of um, helping us develop our views of money than probably even our DNA. Now, personality does come into play with that. You have people who are maybe more type A, and then you have people that are more go with the flow. And no matter what environment they grew up in, that just is how the Lord created them. But how you view money is so often tied to what you experienced, what you were taught, and uh, what you viewed as a kid and, and then throughout your life. So I can't say that I would that I would say there's this particular brain science that gives you um, a view of money, but how you relate to money, maybe if you're more impulsive with money, then yes, some people are, um, their brain is more wired for impulsivity 
Obviously, if people have things like frontal lobe differences, their impulsivity or their feelings towards money might change. So there is that part of it, but I would still err on it's, yes, biological, your personality, but a lot of it is how the environment affects that and the gene expression in that. Yeah, that term you use, gene expression, I'm glad you repeated it there because I feel like that's interesting where we might have each had kind of a propensity towards different things, but it's like the environment shaped you down that path. And so it almost like activated either up or down, maybe how you express your money or any any level of personality or actions, I suppose. So yeah, that, that, that interesting, I think gene expression, that's a good phrase. I don't remember that one where it just kind of brings it together, uh, maybe your biology and your environment and how, how they both kind of shaped each other, perhaps. And you mentioned we, that, oh, go ahead, sorry. We think about our childhood too, um, and we think about our neurons, some of those die off if they're not used. So again, it goes back to the environment and how your parents and the people around you in your life are helping to shape you and what what you're using in your brain and what you're not. And so I love art and how he, about how he talks about our stories, because I go back to that. I very rarely meet with people and they blame their DNA for something. It almost yeah. always goes back to my parents, right? Yep. People, my childhood. This is what I was taught. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes back to the influences people have in your life and our stories and how that makes our view of money. And I love using Sarah's story as a, as an example for the fact that if you can't assume that a certain experience results in a certain money personality or disposition toward finances. So with Sarah, uh, she grew up in a home that uh, really, there, was, there just wasn't much want in the home. It was very well-to-do do home. And and she grew up in that that environment. And you would, you would think, well, she grew up in that environment. Therefore, she must be materialistic, right? No, in fact, it actually had the complete opposite effect on her. She recognized that the material things just weren't, there's just stuff. And so she's actually become very frugal and has always been very frugal since I've, since I've known her. And so you can't assume that a person will turn out a certain way because of their environment. It could have, it could have varying impacts on their, on their lives. Thank you for not calling me cheap. I think, yeah, you didn't call her cheap. She's not cheap. She's just frugal. <laughs> That's good to be frugal. Yep. I, and I, I, and I appreciate all the time it. They, it's great. A lot of people come into our office and they say, oh my goodness, what can I do? I, everything's everything's out of whack. And I look at them and say, you've saved up, you know, 200,000, half a million, two million, yeah. you know, whatever the number is. Like you clearly got the first thing right. The biggest thing when it comes to money, which is to spend less than you make. And so, yeah, yes. yeah, that's definitely number one. So good. Well, you mentioned your book too, Art, about the marriage challenge. And some of the things you write in there is, is uh, one of them is, what if money was no longer a topic to argue about, but a topic around which couples rally? Uh, so just tell us a little bit more about the marriage challenge and, and I guess maybe, maybe even how did you frame it or why did you frame it as a challenge? Yeah, so well, it's a, it's a challenge because most married couples struggle with the area of finances. It's, it's a very um, explosive topic for many couples, and the book was really birthed out of my experience with premarital couples, working with them and and their finances, and understanding the questions, the challenges that they face. And so, a lot of the concepts that you'll find in the book certainly it's applicable to couples that are currently married. But the genesis of it was me working with couples that were about to get married. 
And so as opposed to um, having them look at finances as this topic that you have to endure this area of life that um, you're scared of, of of diving into the area, you look at it as, okay, this is a point which around we can really rally. And if we get this right in our life, because it touches so many different areas of our life, if we can get this one thing, then it's going to bring about significant unification in our marriage. And I go back to to how God has designed and wired our, our marriages and how he's wired finances. And so if you if you really get this thing right in, in your marriage, man, it's going to have a significant positive impact on you as a couple and also those around you that you that you help. I want to add to that in the marriage too with the marriage challenge. And it's so challenging because when we take items that are really important to us in a marriage like money or like children, it often points to issues of the heart. And so if I'm in a marriage and I don't want to share my money, I don't want to have accounts, it points to things of like untrustworthiness of my spouse, or I don't trust myself with money, so I don't want to touch the money. So when you get into a marriage, those hot button topics, so we're talking about sex, kids, money, those types of things, careers, it ends up pointing us to something much deeper than just the money or just the kids. It points us to some heart issues and some issues inside the marriage as well. Yeah. Marital arguments about finances are rarely just about finances. Mm -hmm. It's symptomatic of something that's deeper, that's that's underlying. And and so once you once you recognize that, once again, you get the money part right, but what you're really doing is you're getting a deeper level of your relationship correct. And so um that's why once again, really focus on on money because you're really talking about the heart when you're talking about finances. Yeah, you're right on. I, uh, my wife and I were blessed to have a above average income. Like I'm a financial advisor. I save wisely, right? But I think if we were to have a negative discussion about money, it would probably be, you know, this money represents maybe me taking away security from Robin and her taking away opportunity from me, which is, <laughs> Clearly, like who cares about the five bucks or the 500 or 5,000? You know, that's the, the money, the dollar amount doesn't matter. It's what it represents there uh, for sure. So I, I like just how he said earlier that if you had to pick one of those three areas between give generously, save wisely, live appropriately to start with the, the give generously, that's uh, definitely why you're focusing on getting the money connection correct because that'll be helpful for the, the remainder of of the the marriage so i'm just gonna ask you i need one tip one exercise activity something that couples can do right now it's valentine's day for a lot of people so what can they do today on valentine's day to get this money conversation correct don't give any tips that could get them into an argument on valentine's day I don't. I don't want to get into an argument with her on valentine's day so i'm gonna let her lead out here just so i can be safe mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm training him well, as you can see. (laughs) So my recommendation, because I don't want couples to get into an argument on Valentine's Day, and especially if finances is one of those hot button topics for marriage, is to actually create separate lists that you will share with one another on a different day. (laughs) There you go. But actually sit down and you think through what do I want our goal to be for money? Like, where do I see us in five years, 10 years, and in 50 years? So I think each person needs to write down their own goals. And then you guys can come back and share that on a different day. That's not Valentine's Day or anniversaries or birthdays. 
And I would encourage couples to ask, hey, what is your money story? For me, that is very important for me to know, certainly in our relationship, but for couples to know in their relationship, because it, it creates a sense of empathy. If you understand their story and you understand where they're coming from, you can put yourself in their shoes. And while you might not always agree with how they view their their finances, you might not always agree with the goals that they would like to pursue. You can at least understand the why. Why is this so important to them? Why is it so important for my wife to have more in savings when I want less? Why are these things so important to them? And so I would go out, get a cup of coffee and say, hey, can you just tell me your money story? Like, what was your experience with finances growing up? We've never talked about that. And just listen. It's Jeremy Kyle here, and I know you're listening to the Retirement Reveal Podcast because you want to learn more about making great retirement decisions. I've created a free video course for you to do just that. Head over to 5stepretirementplan.com and sign up to receive this video training right in your email inbox. We broke down our 5-step retirement plan into bite-sized videos so you can get started on the retirement, investment, and tax planning you need to create a consistent retirement income. Go to 5stepretirementplan.com Use the number or spell it out. You'll get there either way. Fivestepretirementplan.com. Thanks for listening. And now for the rest of the show. Yeah, I think what I want to finish out with a focus on is a bit around some different dynamics. And I'm assuming you've seen a lot of dynamics, perhaps even a male-female dynamic that's still kind of prevalent. That's maybe coming around less, more and more um, in, in terms of money. It's almost more, it's like it's turning into this financial, non-financial dynamic where it seems like there's always one spouse that's more financial and there's another spouse that's more non-financial. And of course, 40 years ago, I would just make the assumption it was male and female. And now it's less and less, but it's still kind of tilt that way. Uh, Sarah, you've worked with couples in counseling kind of along relationships and mental health and Art, you've worked with couples along financial health. So let's talk about that area. I think that's a good area to kind of just uh, recognize, because I don't know if it's necessarily even a discord. Uh, sometimes it just seems to be more of a pattern or maybe even a, a social or, or, or background pressure. And, and here's why I really care about this, is I've met a lot of 92-year-old widows that are living off the decisions that their deceased husband made when he was 62. Like 30 years ago, he made a decision and now she's living on that choice that he made a long time ago. And uh, of course, I haven't didn't get the chance to meet that person, but I do meet a lot of 60-year-old men who say, I need my pension today. I need my social security a certain way because they think they'll be lucky to make it to 75. Like, I don't know what it is about men where at 20, you think you live forever. At 60, you think you're dying next week, but that's just the way it, it seems to be. And they all say, oh yeah, my wife's gonna live to 90s because my mother-in-law is still alive, right? Uh, and she's still giving me, a, giving me a rough time, right? So let's talk about that financial decision-making dynamic. And maybe here's one question. And should I make the assumption? I'm going to make, I've already made the assumption. Uh, Sarah, would you call yourself the non-financial spouse and arts, the financial spouse, or would, would you say it's, is it more, more even? I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure what assumption I should make right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Be careful. Don't, don't get me in trouble. Well, in most areas, I like to think I know more than art, but (laughs) that's, that's usually true. No, no, no. Yes, Art would be the one who has more of the financial knowledge for sure. Obviously, he owns his own financial company and finance is just his passion. It's not mine. Not that I don't care about it or want to make wise decisions. So with regards to 
that and understanding the ins and outs of finances more. That is correct. With regards to some of the everyday things like paying bills or doing taxes and knowing all that, that actually is me and making sure payments are made or certain bank accounts that actually falls on me. And so when it comes to that relationship though, that you're talking about where maybe there is a dynamic where one person knows everything and one really knows nothing. I would say that's really unhealthy. And so art, the one thing that art has done a great job of in our marriage with finances is he's taught me a lot. And I think that comes back to one, our goal. It's not his goal. It's not my goal. It's our goal. But it's also that we view marriage as we are two independent people, but we're two independent people that God has put together to operate as one flesh. And so when it comes to big decisions um, or big areas of our lives, we need to be on the same page. And God designed art with strengths and me with weaknesses and then me with strengths and with him with weaknesses. And it would be a disservice to either one of us to withhold our strengths and not include the other person in them. So areas where I'm weaker, like the area of finances, He's had to teach me in areas where he's weaker, like emotion. <laughs> I've had to teach him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> and so art is the stronger one in finances, but he has taught me a lot. And I've also taken upon myself to ask questions when I don't understand or learn things on my own in case of a situation where art was to pass away and I was to keep living. I need to be able to understand how to operate finances on my own. And then the other thing we've done is for all of our accounts, everything's joint and he and I both have equal access to it. So it's not like he has the passwords and I don't. So again, um, and we've used your um, emergency binder. He has an emergency binder. He sells through his organization that lists all the passwords and where everything is. So if he were to be deceased, I could go to that emergency binder and know where all of our finances are, what cards we have, passwords for everything. And I think that is important in marriage and especially in cases of emergencies. And if if you're the one that that has more of the financial knowledge or you have more of the financial passion, I think it is on you to make sure that you're including your your spouse in in that. It's an act of love for your spouse. And so include them in the conversation, include them in the in the goal setting. Don't uh, just because you feel like you know more about finances, don't not listen to there. I know that's a double negative there. Don't not listen to their preferences. And that means that some, it's, sometimes you're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to not do what you would prefer to do for their sake. It's an act of love. And that's it's, you're just putting the marriage above your finances, which that should be the case in, in, in general. So if you are the one who has more of a financial passion, more of just, you know, more, make sure you're including them in there. It's an act of love. It's an act to care for them. And be willing to sacrifice even some of your own personal preferences because you care more about the marriage than you do your retirement account. I know that's that's maybe bad to say on this particular podcast, but no, um, I think it's right on. You should put your marriage above your finances. I'll give one real small area where he's probably zipped his mouth and just let me keep going. <laughs> um, I inherited some money that's in a stock, a, a single stock, and it mm-hmm. drives him nuts. <laughs> it's our money now, but he has allowed me to keep it in this stock that I've wanted to keep it in versus he wants to transfer it to something. I want else. a little more diversified. Yep. Yeah, I hear you. It wasn't like this big deal between us. And that's an area because I've given a lot because we try to err on logic, not emotion. So I've mm-hmm. heard him out and said, okay, I'll leave that behind. So this is an area where he's like, okay, I'll leave that one behind. <laughs> yeah. Putting the marriage above the finances. 
I like it. Well, what I heard from you, Sarah, is that art tries to educate and include you. So both with the joint accounts, and I think that's generally a, a, a dangerous road to go on if you don't have joint accounts, but also an emergency binder. Uh, so we'll talk about that, have links to the emergency binder in the, in the show notes later on. Just the idea that even if, Sarah, you have delegated some of the responsibility to art, you still have the access, you still have the power to kind of exert if you want. But I, I'm just uh, going to ask you then, maybe Sarah, I'll have you say, how could art, or I, I feel like you've done a good job. That's probably why I've got you both on the podcast, because uh, you have uh, made this work. But how can the financial spouse really just bring along the non-financial spouse? Because sometimes it's the non-financial spouse says, I don't want to know. Like, I don't want to deal with it. Like, that, that's a burden off my back. And yet, like you said, if, if art's not around, you got to take care of this on your own. So how can this financial spouse bring along the non-financial spouse? Yeah, so art has done a great job. And I know everybody's brain kind of responds differently, but art's done a great job of providing logic for me. And I am a very logical person. I want to know why and does this make sense? And so he's done a great job of actually explaining things to me and encouraging me to be involved. So even if I didn't, I don't love the ins and outs of finances, like the nitty gritty details, but he's done a great job of encouraging me to learn more by asking questions, by saying, hey, I want to do this with our money, but I would love to know what you want to do with it. Are you okay if I do this? And so he's invited me in and and it may just be for five minutes, and I trust his judgment on a lot of things that he does with our finances, but he, he always asks, even if mm-hmm. he knows what the right answer is, he still asks me and that invites me in. And it's not that I have to, for those people who don't want to be super involved, it's not that I, he's trying to teach me all about how stocks work or how compounding interest works, although he has taught me, but <laughs> uh, you don't, I don't have to know all of that to be a part of our finances. And so he's done a great job of one, inviting me in. And then also he knows when I've kind of had enough of the finance conversation and I'm like, okay, that I don't need to know anymore. Thanks for sharing. And he's, he doesn't push it on me or force it on me either. Yeah. And and for you, Art, how can the non-financial spouse kind of, how would you suggest to them that they ought to speak up? Or even sometimes I feel like it's a stand-up. Like a, a lot of times I, I work with people that they've, they get their pension paperwork. You got 60 days to make a decision. And the default is the spouse gets half. And all I need is a quick signature to where the spouse gets nothing. And oftentimes I think the spouse ought to get a hundred percent, you know, on this, this pension. Uh, So how could a non-financial spouse kind of learn to speak up, even stand up for themselves? Yeah, I think it is, it's just that um, you need to ask questions. In your mind, if you're the non-financial spouse, you need to be thinking, what happens if my spouse who's taking care of the finances passes away? What do I what do I need to need to know? And so that can be a great starting point for a, for, for a conversation because that spouse hopefully will say, you know, yes, I love you. And I don't want you to get caught in a very bad situation financially because you're not familiar with how this works, with how um, with how to think through these types of financial de- decisions. And so hopefully they'll respond in love and start to include that person more because they recognize that there's a concern there and also teach them more about, about finances. So I would say the starting point in your mind, I think, you know, there always is a possibility that the spouse, the financial spouse may, may pass away. Okay, well, what happens then? 
and let that be, uh, let that drive the, the conversation. Yeah. What I heard from both of you is uh, ask questions and ask questions to understand, not just to pull info or data, but to understand kind of where each other's coming from. So I've got one more question for each of you. Uh, before we get there, uh, tell us the, the best way for people to reach out to what you've got going on kind of uh, professionally, I'd say. Well, I'm very excited because I'm launching my own practice. It's RaleighKids.com. It's Christian Mental Health Services for Kids, Families, and Adult Women. And so they can reach out to me through, there's a contact form, like I said, on RaleighKids.com. And it's launching. I hope to start seeing clients here in just a couple of weeks. Oh, that's great. And I'm actually probably more excited about her business than my own business. <laughs> that's all right. That's um, I have been, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, I have been wanting her to do this for, I believe it's about eight years now, because so many people have been reaching out to her for mm-hmm. this very thing. And so uh, there's a, there's a need in our, in our community. People clearly trust her as they, as they should. And so I am, I'm pumped that she's, she's starting this. So once again, that's RaleighKids.com. That's the, the most important way to, uh, to, to learn more, more about us right now. But for me, it's christianmoneysolutions.com. That's, uh, that's the, the company's website. And uh, you can connect with me in a variety of different ways. There's not many art rainers out there. And so whether it's on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever, if you just type in art rainer, I'm, I'm usually the first one to pop up. Once again, that's the, the, the plus of having a name like art. And so I'm pretty, pretty easy to find. Awesome. Yeah, we'll have links to everything uh, in the, the show notes. And we'll have a link to that marriage challenge. And one thing we like to do on our podcast is educate, empower, and give away books. So the first three people that email me, podcast at kylefp.com, we will send out to that marriage challenge book. And everyone else, you can you can go ahead and buy it, support the, the Rainers, uh, and learn a lot more about how you can uh, accept the challenge to, to make money a better topic for your marriage. Good. All right. One more question for you both. Let's see. We'll start with uh, Sarah first. Tell me something about yourself that few people know about. And remember, this podcast is rated clean. Okay. (laughs) So um, I was actually the first in our relationship to tell him I loved him. Mm. And uh, I actually was the first to know we were going to be married after about a month of dating. I told my family I was going to marry him. He did not know that yet. Sure. I knew that and I'm usually the right one. And so I look, I turned out right again. <laughs> Way to go. It's wise to keep that to yourself for a little bit. Yes. Uh, I'm glad that she didn't tell me in that moment. <laughs> yeah, that's great. How about you, Art? Tell us something about yourself. Yeah, I'm going to go in a little bit of a, of a different direction. Uh, what most people don't know about me is that I'm a massive Beach Boys fan. And so I've I've liked, liked the Beach Boys, a lot of the, the later years stuff. Um, that people I think often miss and neglect, like Sunflower is one of the best albums I think that's that's out there. You should certainly go and listen to it. Um, but I am a I'm a I'm a big Beach Boys fan, and most people have no idea about that. In fact, when I was pregnant, he would sing "Don't Worry, Baby" to my stomach, and when our first child was born, he was crying, and Art took him and held him, and then he started singing "Don't Worry, Baby," and he stopped crying. Maybe just stop. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. Well, I'll tell you, Art, uh, the Beach Boys was my first uh, CD that I bought. When I was uh, 12 years old, I bought a uh, CD player on Layaway. So I uh, saved up for Layaway and then uh, took money out of my savings account to go buy a CD player. And of course, what's the point of it without buying a CD? And so I I bought the Beach Boys mainly because I figured my parents would allow me uh, to (laughs) listen to the Beach Boys uh, versus maybe something else that's uh, 
more popular music in 1992. But right. uh, that's that's a great uh, great story. It's a Beach Boys. That's awesome. Good. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Art and Sarah. Thank you for for coming on. This has been a blast. Everyone's learned a lot more about how to make money a a rallying cry, like you said, in your marriage, as opposed to a um, yeah, topic of uh, topic of contention. So thanks thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. You got it. And thank you for listening to the Retirement Reveal podcast. We believe if you know more about your money, you will feel better about your money and you will make better money decisions. This was another great episode of the Retirement Revealed podcast. Click on the subscribe button below to automatically get our latest episodes. If you liked our show and want even more, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would love to hear from you. Please go to retirement-revealed.com to learn more and send us your questions and feedback. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Kyle Financial Partners, Thrivent, or its affiliates. The guests are not affiliated with or endorsed by Thrivent Advisor Network. Kyle Financial Partners does not provide legal accounting or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Kyle Financial Partners is part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have with your investment planning. 